Welcome to World Footprints Radio, the show where we celebrate responsible travel, culture, and heritage. Featuring your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Now, World Footprints Radio. Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us today on World Footprints Radio. Are you leaving positive footprints today? Join us. We're your host, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and we are broadcasting about South Africa today. South Africa is our destination. Indeed, it's our destination, and the World Cup is going on right now in South Africa, and we're putting a spotlight on South Africa and soccer. And this time it's an organization that's using soccer to transform lives and communities throughout South Africa. The organization is Grassroots Soccer, and it uses the power of soccer to educate, inspire, and mobilize communities to stop the spread of HIV and AIDS. And today we'll introduce, once again, Dr. Tommy Clark, a pediatrician and the executive director of Grassroots Soccer. And then we'll pass the ball to someone who's on the front lines in South Africa for Grassroots Soccer, Phil Johnson, and learn more about his experience in the Rainbow Nation with Grassroots Soccer as he joins us from South Africa. He may even have some insights on the South African national team, best known as Bafana Bafana, and the Vuvuzela, which we'll explore with him, and we'll talk about that some as well. And uh, remember, if you've got a question or comment, write us at comments at worldfootprints.com. And, of course, as always, we look forward to connecting with you during the week on our social networks, Facebook, YouTube, great YouTube channel we created, and Twitter. And you can find all of those great networks on our website at worldfootprints.com. And another way you can also find us is on our new mobile platform. Uh, you can now listen to World Footprints Radio on any mobile device, whether it be a Palm Pre, iPhone, iPod Touch, Blackberry, Android. We, You can take us with you on the go um, just by downloading the uh, World Footprints app from Stitcher.com. That's S-T-I-T-C-H-E-R. And I only spell it because I misspelled it the first time myself. Yeah, this is such a uh, cool application, and, uh, you know, we aren't necessarily first movers with this stuff, but this Stitcher device is pretty cool, and here's it uh, on an iPod, and it's great quality, and it's just a great way to follow us, whether you've got an iPod, iPad, or listening from your own uh, computer. It's it's a wonderful thing, and you can go into Stitcher.com, follow the culture and lifestyle category and look for the traveler and there you will find world footprints our next guest is using the sport of soccer to do some good in communities in south africa dr tommy clark is a pediatrician and the executive director of grassroots soccer a nonprofit organization that uses the power of soccer to educate inspire and mobilize communities to stop the spread of hiv Born in Scotland, where his dad played for the Scottish national team, Tommy moved to Zimbabwe at age 14. After playing soccer at Dartmouth College here in the States, he returned to Zimbabwe to teach English and play professional soccer. And after several years of playing soccer, Tommy returned to the U.S. where he enrolled in Dartmouth's medical school. But it was his time in Zimbabwe that inspired him to found Grassroots Soccer, and he joins us to talk about his mission, impact, and activities during the World Cup. Tommy, welcome. 
Thank you. Thank you for having me. This mission of grassroots soccer is so amazing to me, and I've always had a passion for soccer, and, and I like how the soccer ball really creates global ambassadors and creates a way to tie all of us together. Talk about your mission to use soccer to help to stop the spread of HIV in sub-Saharan Africa. A um, co- couple of things, I think. One, one for me was... Uh just what you what you just referred to, sort of soccer as this um, cultural glue, mm-hmm. or you know, a kind of a brotherhood or sisterhood or whatever whatever you want to call it, sort of a something that kind of binds people together. And from my point of view, I, I grew up. I was in four different high schools in four different years in three different continents. Um, so a lot of moving around. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my, my father, as you mentioned, was a soccer player and then was a soccer coach. And, um, and and really, you know, I found going from place to place um, remarkably easy. And the reason was because I played soccer and I had a shared shared passion. And obviously, music and other things can do that as well. Mm-hmm. But soccer is a, is, is a pretty good one. Um, so I think, you know, in, in, in one sense, that was the that was the idea. And then having played there, the thing that I um, the thing that I noticed and, and, and sort of was uh, was remarkable was how popular the sport and the heroes were, and also how accessible they were. They, they were the people that I knew, that I hung around with, that I trained with and played with, and uh, and uh, the, the sort of the, the, the concept that that uh, you know famous people or people that have uh, social or cultural currency um, c- can be important in change, changing uh, people's behavior, and we know that in, from advertising and the. How, how advertisers or companies like to affiliate themselves with certain athletes or musicians or what have you, and so the same idea that we could use we could use star power and uh, famous mm-hmm. soccer players to uh, to make something that wasn't as wasn't spoken about and you know was something that was was a, was a silent topic uh, HIV to to to, uh, to bring that out into the open mm-hmm. and uh, to kind of create a a good environment for for, for an educational program. Now, what exactly do you do with with grassroots soccer? Talk about some of the the programs, and and you know, and, I, and I'll, I'll I'll say just from listening to you, I'm I'm really impressed with how cohesive the community of soccer is. Um, you know, I, I see that sometimes as a traveler, as a as a scuba diver. You know, we're kind of a we're yep. kind of a unique little group of of people. And um, but but soccer, I I didn't realize how cohesive uh, that group is. Um, and uh, and so I'd be interested in hearing a little bit more about that and just some of the work that you're doing uh, with grassroots soccer. Yeah. No. I mean, I think in soccer, right? You know, you're you're always competing against somebody else but ultimately the game ends and and and, uh, and, and people are sort of uh you know kind of come together in in, 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 in you know in a positive way um in terms of the activities and what what, what the program looks like um you know it's a, it's a really a game-based uh, it's an activity-based curriculum and uh it's sort of the you know the hopefully the funnest class these kids will have ever had they're used to a much more didactic style of education where they sit and the teacher lectures um, and they, they write down and they take an exam at the end of the year and uh, so this this is generally uh, inside and outside they're on their feet they're they're, they're involved in activities the activities and encourage discussion we encourage them to think um, you know one of one of I could, there, there's about there's many activities which say uh, a typical curriculum would be 12 mm-hmm. um, but one of the one of the activities would be um, is uh, it's called factor nonsense so it's a uh, just really quickly, it's, it's kind of a quiz. It's, you know, the, 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 there's teams, 
uh, maybe teams of four or five, and there's a, it's a, it's a quiz show, and the, you, you know, the, the person in charge, the facilitator asks a question, and the kids will talk about it in their small groups. And so you start off with easy questions that are not related to sex or HIV or anything difficult. Um, and they, so the kids get in the habit of competing with each other, and it's a competition. And, uh, and then gradually as the competition goes on and, the, and you've kind of established that it's a, it's a competitive environment, that there's people are discussing and that's the way to get the answers, then you start putting in harder and harder questions and people start talking about some of the challenging questions around HIV. Hmm. Um, so that would be sort of an example. You know, another example is that there's a soccer drill where you dribble in and out of cones. And, um, and so, they, we, again, it's a, it's a team environment. There's teams that are competing. They're racing in and out of the cones. They're, they're trying to be the first team to all go through the cones and sit down, and that team wins. Mm-hmm. But then um, we start changing the game a little bit. It's, that game is called risk field. And we, so we say, uh, you know, if you, if you go in and out of a if – if you hit the first cone, you know, we ask the kids, what are the risks that, 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 that kids your age face? We talk about, you know, alcohol. We talk about sugar daddies, girls having partners that are five or more years older than them, having uh, overlapping partners. Um, you know, and not using protection when you have sex. So you start creating all these, and, and if you hit the cone, you have to do a push-up. Um, and then we talk about, well, in eight, you know, uh, the second time we play or the third time we play, we'll say, in, you know, with HIV, who is affected? And they say, well, it's not just, uh, you know, and they all have their, they all tell their stories. Well, it's not just the person who gets HIV. It's, it's their family. Everybody else gets affected as well. Mm-hmm. They have to care for them. They're extremely sad when, when their brother or their sister or their son or daughter or, their father or mother die, and and, uh, and and so they start. So so now instead of doing a push-up, when someone hits the cone, uh, the whole team has to do a push-up. And then we talk about well, what about the community? Is it just the family that's affected? Well, no, actually the whole community is infected. You just look around you and see the devastation of HIV. So this time, it kind of goes from this very sort of uh, helter-skelter game where everyone's just dribbling in out of the cones to the end where. If anyone on any of the teams hits a cone, the whole everyone has to drop and do a push-up because representing the whole community being being impacted by HIV. Huh. So it's a really fun game and it's a competition. But but uh, by the end of it, the game is so different, and the kids' perspective of HIV and how it impacts the whole community is very different. And they've had many conversations about it. So those the games take a little bit long to explain. Maybe it's just because the way I'm explaining them, but uh, they're really they're really wonderful activities, and they're really they're really great at getting kids thinking. And um, you know, and, and really think about taking action as well. Yeah, what I what I find interesting about this is that you use soccer to kind of create the commons, and then through these games and through soccer, you're able to have these conversations and start that dialogue. Talk about some of the things you've got to overcome with with the younger people that you deal with in the program in order to deliver the life saving message. Well, there's a lot of lot of things. I mean, the the first thing to overcome is just the sheer sheer number mm-hmm. of of young people in Africa and the sheer number of young people at risk. So I think scale is probably one of the the most challenging things and the things that I think most about. Um, that's sort of from more of a macro level, um, and I can talk a little bit more about that, um, uh, you know, if appropriate. But uh, so I think on a day to day basis, uh, it depends country to country in Zimbabwe. One of the big challenges is getting gas. Um, you know, from from our team's point of view, is getting gas so we can get to uh, to the schools to work with the mm-hmm. kids. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, from the kids' point of view, um, I mean, these are these are kids talking. You know, they're uh, they're talking about a really charged topic, something that's highly stigmatized, and they've had certainly had people in their in their 
their immediate family who have uh, who have you know contracted HIV and, and you know likely died from it. So it's very uh, I think for for the kids themselves it's a very emotional, difficult topic. Um, from our point of view, it's challenging in terms of uh, gas and sort of from the higher the organization's point of view. Our goal is to educate a million kids. From our point of view, it's trying to think well how do we how do we make sure this program gets to as many at-risk kids as we can? When we return, we'll learn about grassroots soccer from Dr. Tommy Clark as World Footprints Radio continues. Aloha! This is Danielle. Caleb. Mika. Calling from Honolulu, Hawaii. Yeah. We love World Footprints Radio. With great privilege comes great responsibility. Carter Fleming, Community Center Volunteer. The giving spirit is as passionate in the boomers today as it was in our 20s, and we as a generation can still impact our country. Lead, inspire, change the world again. Join thousands and find which volunteer opportunity is best for you. Call 1-800-424-8867 today or visit www.getinvolved.gov. This message is brought to you by the Corporation for National and Community Service on this station. Joel Klein catches a 7 o'clock train after his evening CPR class at the American Red Cross. Ron Garrett is on the same train. He's had a rough day and doesn't feel like himself. Until he feels the sudden tightness in his chest, Ron never thought he'd actually have a heart attack. Until Joel is administering CPR, he never thought he'd actually save a life. When you train with the Red Cross, you change a life. Starting with your own. Call 1-800-RED-CROSS or visit redcross.org to learn about life-changing opportunities in your area. Health officials are concerned about a new influenza virus of swine origin that's spreading from person to person. Officials are acting to combat this threat, but the outbreak might grow, so be prepared. Store a two-week supply of food and water. Have two weeks of your regular prescription drugs at home. Keep health supplies on hand, including pain relievers and cold medicines. For more details, visit www.cdc.gov slash swine flu or call 1-800-CDC-INFO. A message from HHS. Hi, my name is Emeline. I'm from Korea. I love Footprints Radio. Let's return to World Footprints Radio with Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. And welcome back. There's more with Dr. Tommy Clark of Grassroots Soccer. Your impact, I know, has been tremendous. You, you've had more than 300,000 graduates. Uh, in over 18 countries, and uh, and you're you're growing, and um, I'm curious within those 18 countries, uh, does uh, are you active in the United States? I know you're based here in and South Africa, but I'm just wondering what programs if you offer these programs in the U.S. as well. We don't, we don't, uh, and the reason we don't is just the the magnitude of the, the, the uh, of the epidemic in, in, mm-hmm. in southern and eastern Africa is so is so high. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, that's um, we understand the epidemic and the key drivers. I mean, HIV is sort of multi, multi you know, many ep, uh, you know epidemics kind of put together, and the the, the the key drivers of the epidemic are different in different populations in different places. And so, our our program is really really designed to, uh, you know, we understand even even from Zimbabwe to Botswana or from you know Matabeleland to Shonaland in Zimbabwe, it's it's different. There's, it's it's not the same. Uh, it's not the same epidemic. So we're really really focused on Africa because we understand the African context. We know soccer has a huge value there. 
and because HIV is such an enormous problem. Mm-hmm. We do have uh, um, one of our, our uh, the, the interns who, who worked for us, uh, an American-based intern, uh, uh, Tyler, um, has started a program in D.C. Obviously, D.C. Is, uh, has, has a big HIV problem mm-hmm. uh, with, you know, prevalence in some populations in D.C., you know, mm-hmm. I think around 4 or 5%, which is really terrible. And so Tyler's using the similar grassroots soccer model, game-based, um, you know, using athletes and role models going in and working with, with young people. Um, so so we, we do have some spin-off, okay. spin-off project in, uh, in the U.S. Uh, through Tyler's work, and, um, but, but really our, our, our focus to date is mostly, we've done a little bit in the in, uh, Dominican Republic and um, in Central America, but mostly it's been, been in Africa for those reasons. Tommy, I'd, I'd like to get a sense of, of how grassroots is making a difference in, in terms of, of changing behaviors, in, in terms of making children make the right choices. Talk to us about what, what some of your data is revealing about the impact of the program. One of the, um, I think I've got a good answer, but I think one of the challenges has been, even from when our organization started, sort of the world's understanding of the of the key drivers of HIV, certainly in in a, in a generalized epidemic, which is different than a sort of a focused uh, epidemic, like with uh, you know uh, sex workers or you know men who have sex with men or something like that. And a generalized epidemic, sort of understanding the key drivers of HIV, has really been evolving, and how to prevent HIV has been evolving. Um, very rapidly, and it's been evolving. You know, and, and the fun part for me has been paying attention to the research and the data, and, 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 what, and what the learnings are, and then trying to translate those very quickly into good uh, programs and messages and interventions for young people that uh, that resonate and, and the young people like. Um, so some of some of the things is just understanding the. And, uh, you know, the, the, the epidemic is, you know, four to eight times, uh, uh, incidence in, in late teenage girls is four to eight times higher than in boys the same age, and that really with HIV is, is jumping from uh, these, these young women, uh, late teens, uh, having uh, sex with guys that are five or more years older than them, HIV, basically jumping into a new generation. So, that, mm-hmm. so, that, so that's sort of a, a relatively new finding. Uh, you know, this, um, you know, Helen Epstein uh, sort of popularized and, her work with uh, Daniel Halperin and, and others, sort of this idea that, uh, that it, you know, one of the reasons that HIV is such a huge problem in, in, in southern eastern Africa is because not because people have any more sexual partners than anywhere else, but it's much more likely that they have overlapping, long-term overlapping mm-hmm. partners. And with HIV, the, the, the chance of spreading is very high when your viral load is high in the first six weeks. Mm-hmm. And so if you have two long-term partners, um, the chance of getting it from one partner to the other partner is pretty high and then the, the chance of that partner then having another partner is not not you know in, insignificant and so you basically create a sort of a sexual community uh, that's really based on overlapping partners so again this is new information uh, that, that, that came about you know you know halfway you know uh, so we, we were listening and trying to un- interpret this so, the, so the, the, the things that we look at in terms of impact is number of kids mm-hmm. and in terms of uh, and then we try and look at what are the what are the differences in their behavior mm-hmm. so the things we look at is is uh, age of age of sexual debut. So 50% of the new infections. I think 40% now is this new number, but is uh, people 15 to 24. So if we if we uh, if we can delay people's uh, sexual debut, you know, from 16 to 18, 
we're significantly reducing the, 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 the likelihood that they'll have HIV. So we have good data showing that, we're, mm-hmm. that we can do that. Um, we're looking at uh, the, the number of par- partners in, 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 in a short time frame. So, again, alluding to this overlapping partners. So, again, uh, kids that have gone through our program in Bulawayo, Zimbabwe, are, I believe it's six times less likely to have uh, overlapping partners than, than a control group or a comparison group that didn't go through the program. Mm-hmm. So those are sort of the things that we look at. Stigma is obviously another huge, huge issue and obviously much more easy to measure, at least in a, in a survey. And, uh, you know, we certainly, you know, we, we ask questions like, you know, would you be willing to support a, a classmate or a family member who was HIV? And, 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 um, and obviously I, I think what, you know, we, we've seen big, big differences in, in uh, uh, I think, from 30% of a, of a class or 37% mm-hmm. of a class to 80% mm-hmm. you know, would be willing to support a classmate uh, that was HIV positive. So, Oh, well, you know, you're, you're doing wonderful. Long answer. Sorry. No, no, you're, it's okay. You're doing wonderful work, and, and I know you're going to be very active during uh, the World Cup games uh, in South Africa this year. Talk to us a little about some of the, the activities you're, 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 uh, you're going to have, and uh, um, and also share how some of the students, and I already know this, but I, for the benefit of our audience, um, how some of the students that will be participating in some of your activities will actually be um, uh, treated to uh, special events. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know there's some exciting things happening <laughs> for sure. From a, from a fundraising point of view, uh, you know, one of our challenges is that we, um, you know, a lot of people who support us don't get to see our programs in action. So, so really, any, you know, one of the things we're really encouraging is anyone who's going to be at the World Cup who wants to come out and see what we do in the field. Um, you know, we're really encouraging people to, to get in touch, and, and, and we'd love to be able to show people what we do. Um, the, uh, from a program point of view, we have a lot of fun stuff. We have uh, one of the one of the the risks is that, uh, or, the, or the challenges is that these kids have five weeks off school and um, they have a lot of time on their hands, and so w- w- which can be a bad thing when you have a lot of people coming in from elsewhere. So, uh, uh, so one of the things we're doing is we're having uh, basically a soccer camp, uh, many many soccer camps. Castro is, is funding this, and uh, uh, in addition to just the soccer camp activities, all of our education activities are embedded into uh, you know. So maybe you have a session on passing, then you have a session on one of the activities, like I described, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and so by the end of the week, the soccer camp. At the end of the week, all of the kids have graduated from the core curriculum, um, and so I think that's going to be really exciting. We're having a, a, you know camp after camp, so it's going to be a very busy, busy time for us. And then the other thing is uh, is uh, we have uh, from from Sony, we have tickets uh, that, that have to be. Uh, so we're 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 going to be escorting South African youth. Mm-hmm. Um, we have actually, I think, 16,000 tickets, but I hope people don't email and call because they're almost all for South Africa, unless they're a South African youth. So we're, we're really escorting South African youth to, uh, to, to, uh, to a, bunch of the, a bunch of the soccer games, the World mm-hmm. Cup games. So that's going to be, I think, a, a lot of logistics, but I think also a lot of fun. Tommy, the organization Grassroots Soccer is doing some wonderful things, and uh, you're making a difference and uh, changing lives and saving lives, and it really transcends soccer, and I think it's one of the things that just shows how sport 
can 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 transcend the game itself to really have a major impact on some of the great issues of our time. And there's been no greater issue for the continent of Africa than HIV in recent time. And and before before we go, Tommy, I'd like for you to share your website uh, too, so that uh, people can actually get involved and support you from a grassroots level. Well, I appreciate that, and I appreciate any support. Our email is grassrootsoccer.org. And the only tricky thing is it's grassroot singular. It's not, it's not grassroots. Grassrootsoccer.org. Good, good deal. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Tommy Clark, Executive Director of Grassroots Soccer. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you both. When we return, we'll learn more about grassroots soccer and its work from the front lines as Phil Johnson joins us from South Africa as World Footprints Radio continues. I'm Lord Richard, and I'm from Northern Ireland, and I have uh, a record company uh, which produces New Orleans records, jazz records from the 1960s and early 70s uh, from New Orleans, and uh, I just love World Footprints. Making sure the air in your dream home is healthy for your family to breathe. Building a radon-resistant home is easy. Just ask your builder or go to epa.gov slash radon. A message from the US EPA. Well, he moved early. That's going to draw the yellow flag. Offsides, number 72, five yards. Check out this fan leaving the game. He's headed straight up the middle and right into a sobriety checkpoint. Let's see how he handles it. No, officer. I haven't been drinking. I'm the designated driver. Upon further review, this fan made the right call by being a designated driver. Sign up to be the designated driver at the stadium and always buckle up. You could follow your favorite NFL team to the Super Bowl, provided as a public service by the station and team coalition. What would happen if you didn't follow the established path? Would you feel scared or proud? Could you explain that helping the people of Peru improve their own community would also have an effect on your own? Would you rather make your own way or spend a lifetime saying, what if? Life is calling. How far will you go? Peace Corps. To find out more, call 1-800-424-8580 or go to peacecorps.gov. Hi, my name is Marcia Alexion, and I'm talking to you from Vancouver right now. I am originally from Brooklyn, New York. I've been living in Vancouver for about 20 years, and I love World Footprints Radio. You're listening to World Footprints Radio, awarded as the best travel audio podcast by the North American Travel Journalists Association. Here's Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Welcome back. I'm sure if you've been listening to World Cup coverage as we have, uh, watching the games on television, you've been hearing the Vuvuzela, this uh, sound, when in unison it sounds like a bunch of locusts, and for some, 
it's joy for others. It's deafening. It's it's just it's just one of these things that's you know kind of taken over. And uh, FIFA's allowed the Vuvuzela to be a central part of the matches in South Africa. Well, the Vuvuzela kept me from a good night's sleep when we were in Durban, and uh, I didn't have a great appreciation for the instrument um, not so long ago. And uh, and so I can imagine if any of you who are in the stadium can even hear this show, it's miraculous because it's a deafening instrument. And one person blowing a vuvuzela along the beaches in Durban, where we stayed, uh, all hours of the night, just one person kept me awake. So imagine a stadium full of thousands and thousands and thousands of people blowing vuvuzelas and even going through the streets of Cape Town, Joburg, Pretoria, all the other uh, venues where the cup is held. Um, I, I, I do appreciate the instrument now, but uh, truly did not when it kept me from a good night's sleep. You know, one of the interesting things about the vuvuzela is that uh, it actually has its origins, some say, to the uh, kudu, which we saw on safari in South Africa. And for those who are not familiar with the kudu, it's an antelope. And apparently, uh, back in uh, the mid-60s, a man by the name of Sodom Make decided that he wanted to take the bugle on his bike, uh, the bugle horn, and remove the bladder, and that may have become the first Vuvuzela back in 1965. And then later on, almost 20 years after the fact, he approached an industrialist in South Africa to come up with the modern Vuvuzela to kind of stretch it out and create this global phenomenon now. And I thought we would just be hearing it during uh, the matches with Bafana Bafana, but it's taken over every single match. You would you would think that the world has now, you know, uh, adopted the Vuvuzela as its calling card. Yeah, well, you know, I, I saw a lot of uh, uh, Americans blowing the Vuvuzela, uh, both here. Um, in, both in South Africa and, uh, and, and I'm sure it's been, uh, there's gonna be a lot coming back to the States. Um, lots of Brits. I mean, everybody who's over there, every nation celebrating the games. Uh, I think fans have Vuvuzelas. So Vuvuzelas have invaded, uh, the world. Indeed. And I think our next guest possibly may have some things to tell us about the Vuvuzela as well. Although the world's eyes are focused on South Africa for the 2010 World Cup, the game of soccer isn't a seasonal event for the South African children who participate in grassroots soccer camps throughout the country. We heard about the mission of grassroots soccer from its executive director, Dr. Tommy Clark, and now we're going to speak to someone who is on the front lines in South Africa as a volunteer, Phil Johnson. Phil, welcome to World Footprints. Thanks for having me. You've, you made a life-altering decision to leave corporate America and travel to South Africa to volunteer with grassroots soccer. Why did you do this? Talk, tell, talk to us a little bit about your thought process. You know, Tanya, I spent uh, three years working in finance in uh, 
corporate Manhattan, and this was after being an economics major at Bates College, and they always thought that I had my life planned out for me, you know, being an economics major, working in finance. And then I finally realized after after the second year that it really wasn't that easy, and it really wasn't making me happy, and I really wanted to find something that I really got something out of, you know, deep down, and, and I realized that finance wasn't that. Sounds like uh, two lawyers I know. <laughs> Sitting here, you and I, other, other transitionists. Well, talk to us, you know, about your mission in in South Africa with GRS and and how you were prepared for it and and what you've been doing. Well, I've always I've always loved traveling, uh, much like you guys, I'm sure. Um, so that was kind of the, the preeminent. Um, you know, thing I needed to to really have down. And as soon as I realized that that I really wanted to get out of the United States, I started to look into my love for soccer. And I realized that South Africa offered this this great platform with the World Cup that was coming. And you know, after just some simple searches on the internet, I found Grassroots Soccer and realized that it was such a small, tight knit community, especially in New England, where I'm from. Mm-hmm. And I. Uh, once I talked to a few people there, I realized that it was really what I was looking for to combine my soccer and my, my love for traveling and, and learning and meeting new cultures. Phil, how has life been for you in South Africa over the past year, and what's what's been your experience living there? You know, it's been fascinating just because it is a country and, and, and so many contrasting, uh, so many differences the United States, you know, and especially with the World Cup, you're seeing them all coming out. There's, there's the media spotlight has never been greater here, so you really be beginning to see the contrast between the different communities, the different types of people. Um, but for me, you know, it's been it's been incredible. It's just been so interesting learning from from the different types of people that we work with every day. Talk to us a bit about some of those contrasts that you hinted about. Well, you know, working at a at an NGO like Grassroots Soccer, who receives so much of its money from uh, high net worth individuals in the United States and big corporations, you do interact with a lot of these people. But on the on the front in the front lines where where I spend a lot of my time, you're in the, you know you're in Kailisha, you're in Guguletu, you're in these townships day in and day out, and you're and you're working with these people who live in shacks that don't even have their own bathroom. So it's, it's very very neat kind of working with the two polar opposites of people. And speaking of, of media, Phil, um, you know, in, in light of the media, and, and honestly, uh, we know being here that um, uh, major media has, has not been too, I think, kind to the progression yeah. or development of, of the cup uh, in South Africa, you know, low ticket sales, uh, crime reporting, et cetera. And that's a whole nother segment uh, for, for us. But what has been the local buzz about the the World Cup there. Well, I mean, the first thing I have to say is that if you go into the townships around Cape Town or around Durban, I mean, everybody is just beyond excited. They they love football. Football is life for them. Bafana Bafana is their team, and they're going to follow them no matter how bad, how low FIFA says they're in the rankings. Um, I can't even. I mean, once they get out those vuvuzelas and once they once they put on the crazy hats that they all wear and they they have these big telephones that they bring with them to games, it's 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 literally insane. 
identity, how, how much they love their soccer. And they're, you know, they kind of, they're not going to let the media get in the way of this. And, and, and rightly so, I think. You, know, you talked about a lot of the, um, uh, the townships that you've visit, visited throughout South Africa. I know grassroots soccer has camps throughout uh, the country, and you're there as a, as a volunteer for, for grassroots soccer. But have you had an opportunity to visit other African nations whilst there or, or travel uh, th- uh, on, um, as a leisure tourist uh, throughout the country? You know, I, I, I have actually. My uh, my parents were here just two weeks ago, and we were able to get up into KwaZulu Natal, mm-hmm. which is called KZN, mm-hmm. up around Durban, and it, it was just spectacular. We went to the, the Drakensberg Mountains and and the mm-hmm. Shishlui Game Reserves, We've and that been was there, yeah. <laughs> so you know how incredible. Oh, yeah. It was. yeah, you're you're making me homesick right <laughs> and, now. And, and in fact, just hearing you say Shishlui just uh, made my heart flutter because it's just one of my favorite places and just favorite names to say and so uh that's i think uh sorry yeah i think uh, one of the fun things of being there was just talking to the uh, locals about the pronunciation of the word <laughs> well it rolled lovely off your yes. tongue <laughs> <laughs> i had to think about it <laughs> go ahead sorry but yeah on top of that in terms of being outside of south africa i I had the incredible opportunity to spend 30 days backpacking across Botswana and Zimbabwe and Mozambique. So I think that'll always be a highlight for me as well. Have you have you noticed? Um, can you talk a little bit about the um, the the contrast between those countries and and South Africa? Have you noticed any any differences in the in the culture? I mean, talk to us about those experiences. Well, the the one that immediately jumps out to me is uh, being in Zimbabwe. And uh, we all know how much trouble they've had in the past couple of years, but I got to spend uh, a couple of days in, in one of the townships in Harare. The township was called Mbare. Um, I was actually with a uh, Wesleyan University graduate who grew up in Mbare and uh, was fortunate enough to receive a, uh, a full ride to Wesleyan. And so we were with him and his family actually for Christmas. Mm. Um, and it, it was remarkable seeing... The Zimbabwean people and, and how they've all come together and overcome um, the harshness of, of you know the leadership there, and, and it was truly remarkable. We spent we spent the entire day, the entire night in the townships, and that's something that unfortunately you wouldn't be able to do in South Africa because of the violence. Phil, we've had so much in terms of economic uh, conflagrations taking place all over the globe, and we've had this major, major event. Where talk to us about just kind of your sense of the state of the economy in South Africa, its, its fragility, its, uh, its strength and so forth, and how you see these games impacting uh, the lives of people. You spoke about the enthusiasm in the townships, but do you foresee any long-term benefits coming out of this for the people of South Africa? You know, there's been a lot of uh, publicity on, on this, and there's been a couple books that were just um, put out uh, in regards to FIFA and their approach um, in kind of coming into countries and whether they whether they impose themselves a little too much 
um, and that's and that's certainly certainly happened here in South Africa, probably more so in Germany because of the fragility of the of the country. Um, and you know they they they're wondering if some of these massive stadiums that are being built in the rural areas like Polokwane mm-hmm. or in the in the in the in the strange areas like Greenpoint um, in Cape Town. Mm-hmm. I mean, there it, it don't, doesn't really make sense to have a stadium there. So what will happen to that stadium once uh, once everybody clears out? Um, and the fact of that matter is, I, I don't know if if these stadiums will ever be full again. Um, and in that respect, I mean, it, it could it could be tough for for the economy to uh, kind of not rebound, but keep up with uh, this construction, all these this construction all over the country. But I think if 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 for no economic game, I think the intangibles of, of what South Africa are going to gain from this really are the most important aspect. Um, I mean, if you're an American, you're never going to think about going to South Africa before this World Cup. And now I think everybody knows what South Africa is and knows where South Africa is and, and that it's not a continent, you know. It's its own country. Um, and I think so the intangible, maybe the, the tourism that, that'll, that'll come to the country after the World Cup, um, maybe the capital that'll be placed into Johannesburg or into Cape Town, I, I think... I think that's that's hard to measure, but I think that a lot more people are going to know what South Africa is and know where it is and, and be more interested mm-hmm. and, and realizing that there aren't lions that are that are in your backyard in South Africa. With the World Cup being in South Africa, I know grassroots soccer has some plans really to continue and grow its outreach. Talk to us about uh, some of grassroots' plans. Uh, during uh, the World Cup and even going beyond the World Cup? The, the big plan, uh, Ian, is to have 48 holiday programs across South Africa. And, and a holiday program is, is the American, you know, it's a five-day day camp um, from 8 to 4 where we'll have approximately 100 youth per day per camp um, partaking in the grassroots soccer curriculum, partaking in a couple of soccer tournaments. Um, so it's, it's a great way for these youth to get off the street because, unfortunately, the South African government um, closed all public schools for six weeks during this period. So we see it as a way to kind of move in instead of, well, they don't have these schools, now they can they can go to our camps instead, and, and we can provide them with, with uh, nutritious meals and, and, and beverages, which have been donated as well. Um, and it's just a great opportunity for, for these youth and for our coaches and for for the organization as a whole and for the, the HIV and AIDS epidemic that's spreading. And you mentioned, you know, uh, how many children are participating. Are there going to be different participants each day or the same uh, the same children? How do you attract these children to, to your program? So, yeah, there, uh, each child will be there for five days, and, and on the fifth day there's actually a graduation. And once a child has graduated, we, we do try to uh, avoid having them in the same camp, um, and we move to a primary school nearby, or we ask our coaches um, who are from the community to reach out to to schools in the area and recruit children from the teachers in those areas. Mm-hmm. So we, we try not to, to um, duplicate our, our, our graduates in that respect. And so uh, year after year, most of your participants are, are new uh, new participants and not necessarily returning participants. 
Correct. We try to, um, if, if we're going to enter a new school, maybe we'll target the uh, eighth graders first, and then after we've uh, we've worked with all the eighth graders and they've all graduated from the skills curriculum, then we move to the sixth graders or the seventh graders. Mm-hmm. And Phil, I knew um, after reading uh, reading your blog and, and, and talking to you that you know there's been some challenges with getting uh, active participation from, from some of the children. And I'm just wondering, um, you mentioned a, a, an intervention. You do an intervention, and I was going to ask you to uh, explain how that intervention works and, and really um, how you get these children to, to open up and, and share and participate because there's a, there's a, a, a stigma attached to, um, this disease. And, you know, I can imagine that even with some of the coaches, the adult, uh, coaches, uh, who, who may volunteer at the camps that there may be some reluctance. Talk to us a little bit about that. Well, like you said, I mean, the, the, the stigma is huge here, and, and that is one of the biggest problems, whether it's with your friends or with your family. So I think it's it's essential that we have these, these coaches, is what we call them, um, who are young adults, usually 18 to 24, from the community, who are more comfortable talking about HIV and AIDS and more comfortable working with these children. So basically the way uh, most of our our different uh, interventions work is that the uh, the coaches will, will be working with a group of, uh, say, 20 of the youth who are in 6th, 7th, or 8th grade usually, and the one in particular that I think you were referring to is, is called My Coach's Story, and basically it starts off with the kids in a, in a half circle around the coach, and the coach actually talks about um, a story that is really important to him, really shaped who he is today. Um, and really made him, allowed him to grow up and allowed him to overcome a lot of times the stigma of HIV and AIDS because in so many of these occasions, the actual, the biggest story in, in this coach's or in the youth's life is, is something related to uh, HIV and AIDS. Mm-hmm. So in this respect, this is just one uh, example of how it allows the children to see that, hey, listen, this, this coach is, is talking about something that I would never have talked about, but if he can do it, and, and I look up to him as a role model, then I don't see why I can't either. And so, in in that in that uh, lesson, the coach begins with my coach's story, and then at the end, he asks any of the youth around him if they're interested in sharing their coach's story. And it's very powerful what you see sometimes, because you know sometimes it's the quietest quietest person in the classroom who who wants to get up and, and share his or her story with the with their peers. In fact, um, there's a, a young girl by the name of uh, Tombi. Um, who, who actually um, did just that? Uh, she's very quiet, and um, but at towards the end of the the week, or, or when the coaches, my coach's story um, session was was conducted, it, it allowed her to open up, talk to us a little about this uh, this young lady and her story. So this was actually um, in in one of our one of the townships in Port Elizabeth. Um, Port Elizabeth is where we've been operating the longest in South Africa, and we have this great uh, coach who's now a master coach. He teaches coaches now, um, called Sia, and uh, this is a story about how Sia shared his coach's story with a, a group of youth, and then, like you said, Tanya, yeah, uh, Ntombi, um, one of the one of the shy girls in the back of the classroom. 
actually was brave enough, you know, got the, the will from listening to Sia's story to go up and share her own story about how she had, uh, how she had been raped and, and she had contracted the virus. And uh, once she shared that with the youth and once she shared that with the coaches, um, they actually uh, um, introduced her to Ubuntu Education Fund, who has worked with JRS for a long time. And, and, and through that, she's been receiving counseling, and, and she's now ready to disclose her status to, to her family. When we return, Phil will share more about his South African experience with grassroots soccer as World Footprints Radio continues. Hi, I'm Johannes from Pretoria, Gauteng in South Africa. I love listening to you and I want you to support Ian Antonia at World Footprint Radio. It is exciting. Tom Gilmore lives on a farm. There's a storm on the way, so he's boarding up the windows of his house. Haley Williams lives in an apartment. It's a beautiful day. She's making her usual monthly donation to the American Red Cross. Tom doesn't know a tornado will leave his family with no place to go. Haley doesn't know her gift will help give Tom's family shelter. When you support the Red Cross, you change a life. Starting with your own. Call 1-800-RED-CROSS or visit redcross.org to learn about life-changing opportunities in your area. Hi, my name's Jennifer Jones and I'm from Glasgow in Scotland. I love listening to the World Footprints Radio Show online. This is World Footprints Radio, celebrating responsible travel, culture and heritage. Here are your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. And welcome back. Here's more with Phil Johnson of Grassroots Soccer, who joins us from South Africa. Now, Phil, talk to us a bit about uh, the stigma that attaches with HIV-AIDS because the story that you were speaking about involved her mom who had it and her her aunt, who was uh, the sister of her mom, did not support her and uh, stigmatized her because of her, her, her mom's condition. And she later contracted... Uh, uh, HIV through through rape. Talk to us about what's going on in South African society that makes it uh, harder for for people to perhaps support and and uplift their communities with with this affliction. You know, I think it all it all actually goes back to uh, the reason that grassroots soccer was. Uh, established in the first place. Um, Kirk Friedrich, who's our managing director, was uh, playing for a soccer team in, a, in Zimbabwe, and uh, he, was, uh, he noticed that several of his, of, you know, his uh, co-players disappeared, and, and when they asked what had happened, it was you know, he, he got sick or he got an illness. No one could actually bring themselves to say they, they were sick with HIV and contracted AIDS, and, and I think that's, uh, that's come into South Africa. There's a, a little girl grows up, and she can't talk to her, her mother or her father about why people are dying around her, you know, and it's, and it's extremely difficult. I mean, it's, I feel like they, they bundle everything up inside, and, and it's something that's so important to discuss just so you can, you can realize how to prevent it and realize how to, how to stay safe and, and Right now, that's that's what we're trying to break through, and uh, that's why a lot of these a lot of these lessons are for. Phil, for you personally, uh, clearly there are metrics that grassroots soccer is using to show its efficacy and its success 
in reaching children, but for you at a personal standpoint, how are, how are you measuring that uh, day in and day out and long term? Well, I you know I work I work in the um, business development aspect of grassroots soccer for the most part. So, but I do get to get out there and I see the big tournaments that we run frequently and mm-hmm. and the communities that come together. And uh, obviously, it, it's hard to measure in the short run, uh, but just to see how happy everybody is when they get together and how many of these events we hold and how many people get tested at these events that we hold, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, it's it's incredible to see it in person. Speaking of of happy, I was just uh, <laughs> I don't know why I had this vision, but my uh, my younger brother used to uh, do this uh, this dance to Rin and Stimpy. I don't know if you remember that that commercial, Happy Happy Joy Joy, and and I was, imagine that the kids are doing a Happy Happy Joy Joy dance because um, those that are participating in grassroots soccer. Um, are going to be treated to several uh, matches uh, at, at the World Cup. Um, tell us about their excitement and, and how this came about. <laughs> I want to be there. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's phenomenal. It's, a, it's an incredible opportunity. Um, Sony actually gave us Grassroots Soccer 15,000 tickets to the World Cup. So we have these 15,000 tickets that, that we've been giving to implementing organizations to give to the youth they work with, and we've been giving them to the youth that graduate from our skills curriculum um, directly, and it's it's amazing. I mean, you should see the look on the on the faces of these kids when they realize that they're going to see Cameroon, Netherlands, and, and <laughs> Greenpoint Stadium in Cape Town. You know, it's, it's absolutely incredible, and, and it's just, we have to thanks Sony so much because it's an incredible opportunity and something that they truly would never see before mm-hmm. now now for you Phil uh, is this going to be your first World Cup or have you been fortunate enough to attend cups in the past I was lucky to go to the World Cup in 94 and I was reminiscing with my mom who lives in Michigan we were at the game that the US played at, uh, at the Pontiac Silverdome at the time and we're just recalling how wonderful that experience was the bus trip to the stadium and just just the excitement of being part of such an historic event at the time. I, I too, was uh, fortunate enough to go to the World Cup in 1994. Thankfully, my, my father realized how much I, I loved soccer <laughs> in fourth grade and uh, made sure I attended one game, but oh. even even... Perhaps more of a special uh, instance was going to the Germany World Cup in 2006, uh-huh. where I saw the USA lose to the Czech Republic and then lose to Ghana. Mm-hmm. Um, but besides those 180 minutes, it, it, like I said, it's, it's, you know, it's the most incredible thing to see so many different countries come together and taking pictures together, you know, just, and just getting a beer together and just laughing and smiling. And, you know, there's no fights. It's not like your, your club competitions in Europe. It's just everybody having a great time. Oh, man. Now, um, beyond the uh, beyond the cup, beyond the holiday camps, um, what's in store for for grassroots soccer? Oh well, we've uh, 
we have so many donors that have come in recently, so I think we have so many exciting plans, and we're just waiting to make sure these new grants come through. But uh, one thing we're, we're sure to do is, is not allow any of our relationships to end quickly. You know, we, we're always trying to build from, from the ground up. We, we uh, get small donations, we make small partnerships, and from there um, we always grow them, and, and it's been working really well, and even in the past, Ten months, I've seen it, you know, and and I think that these uh, the camps are only just the beginning, and and we we ran our first pilot camp in September, and now we have that was six camps, and now we have fifty camps in mm-hmm. June. Now, just there's so many school holidays where we're going to be able to run these in the future, mm-hmm. and I know that our our partner organizations are as excited as we are. And and part of that growing outreach is this one component called Girls with Skills. Talk to us about that. Girls, girls got skills. Was a uh, yes, we <laughs> kind do. of a plan word. And it, <laughs> it was it was a very neat week that we had uh, in uh, early April. It was um, actually spearheaded by one of my friends, Sarah Flesher, another intern, um, and the help of Johnson and Johnson. Mm-hmm. And it was basically this incredible tournament that lasted for a week that, you know, there were scavenger hunts across Cape Town, there was a tour of the stadium, everyone climbed Table Mountain, but it brought girls in from Namibia, from the United States, and from all over South Africa, and then it allowed them to play together and have their own week, and it was, you know, it was incredible. We had a couple professional players, and we had a big bouncy castle, and, and there was a Oh, you name it. We had it. the whole community was out at the at the Football for Hope Center in Kailisha. Mm. Now, Phil, as uh, you reflect back on your time in South Africa, what's been the most memorable experience thus far? Oh, in terms of uh, it must have had to have been the uh, the kickoff tournament that we held in uh, December, um, the day after the World Cup draw. I think it was December fourth. We, we celebrated the opening of the Football for Hope Center in Kailisha, which we, uh, which we are the hosts of and, and are going to use it substantially for the World Cup. It's part of FIFA's 20 Centers for 2010 movement, where they're building these centers across Africa. And we actually had the ribbon cutting the day after the World Cup draw, and Sepp Blatter was there, mm-hmm. and a couple other celebrities were there, and we had a big soccer tournament, and there were thousands of people there, and it was, it was kind of just the first four months of work finally coming to fruition. It was, it was fabulous. And Phil, having been an expat myself and, and having lived abroad for, for a number of years, coming back to the United States was a really difficult transition for me. I, I, I love our country, um, but it, it, you know, when you live abroad, you your life is really transformed, and I'm just wondering what you're doing uh, to prepare for your transition back to the States, and what are your plans when you return, and when are you returning? <laughs> oh, well, uh, I actually haven't booked my flight yet. Oh. Um. <laughs> is that purposeful? <laughs> Sounds like you're trying to angle to stay. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I, I you know, I'll... I'll probably be leaving here um, late July, and I, I might stop in a couple countries along the way back. I'm, I'm targeting Egypt and Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of maybe do a couple weeks to a month there, and then you know maybe I'll take off a couple weeks and slowly look into getting a job and uh, maybe moving down to Washington D.C. Or, or back to New York where I was before. Um, 
but you know, I've learned I've learned from my three years in finance and my and my year here, and I, and I think I, I know better who I am and, and what I want now. Um, mm-hmm. So that'll help me along the way. Mm-hmm. And and you're coming back, I would imagine, and I I'm just projecting my own experience um, uh, here, but I would imagine you're coming back a, a, just a, a much more complete person. Uh, uh, at least I, I did, but you know, and that's not saying a lot for me when I when I went abroad in the first place. But, um, but I, I just I felt more whole uh, because of my experience of living abroad. You know, Tanya. Yeah, I think I think you're. Right. I think it's hard for me to measure, but uh, I mean, it's been an incredible experience, and, and I and I really feel like I've. I've had an effect on, on so many people's lives, um, or I like to think so, <laughs> more so than I had for for one my first three years working. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I think it's 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 been very good for me, and, and mm-hmm. I hope to extend that into my next my the rest of my career and the rest of my life. Well, we look forward to that that next chapter, Phil Johnson, with uh, Grassroots Soccer. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you again, everybody, for joining us today. We look forward to connecting with you during the week on all of our social networks, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and others, where you can sign up from our website at worldfootprints.com. We also look forward to you joining us on uh, your mobile uh, application or your mobile device from uh, stitcher.com. It's been a pleasure to share some travel time with you. We're Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and we'll see you on the air again next week, same time, same frequency. And until then, travel with purpose and leave positive footprints whilst you go. Hi, guys. My name is Sandy Best, the Sandy Best from Lake Louise. Where's Lake Louise? It's in Alberta. Alberta's in Canada. Banff National Park, natural beauty. The only place you should go with is World Footprints Radio because they spend their time looking at those special places that are not tourist traps, that are not thousands of people. For the best on the planet, go with World Footprints Radio. This has been a presentation of Travel and On Media Productions, LLC. All rights reserved.